particular today is a story about someone who joined the journey of discipleship. And, and let me tell you that if we're not careful in this particular text, you're like, now wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah, it's a fascinating story. Now, this particular individual, we would have known practically nothing about them except what is said at the end of the passion narratives in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This person appears in all four of the Gospels. But only at the end, with the exception of the text you see up here. Luke chapter 8 gives us a little insight into those who traveled with Jesus. And I think sometimes we don't realize how many people were with Jesus. Notice the text. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. I think most of the time, that's what we focus on. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, right? But notice what he goes on to say. Luke says, the twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And then he begins to list them. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. And so one of the things, and, and, and if you've been watching The Chosen, you've noticed that, is that it wasn't just an all-boys club. Jesus had women who were following him as well. And some, sometimes those numbers really, really did expand into large numbers. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 tells us something about this process of having a demon in you. Mary Magdalene, the text says, had had seven demons cast out of her. It was the Chosen series that forced me to think about what was her life like before she followed Jesus. I'd never even thought about it. Never even considered it. And so as I began to reflect on it, I thought, what was it like to be demon-possessed? And if you kind of walk your way through Matthew's gospel, Matthew kind of tells you, here are some people who in the first century were demon-possessed. Now, you may be thinking, Leslie, what in the world is demon possession? I've got to tell you, it's one of the hardest questions that, that anybody who studies the Bible deals with. I mean, you don't find demons in the Old Testament unless you're really looking, you know, perhaps between the lines, and then you get to the New Testament. And then, of course, the big question is, are there demons here today? And, of course, I tell people that I don't see demons like you find here, even though I've encountered some church members that I wasn't quite sure about, okay? Now, if you're feeling guilty, okay, here we go. Notice here in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew 8 is, is among the miracle stories of Jesus. And he goes across the Sea of Galilee to a land called the land of the Gadarenes. And he encounters two men there. And these men are demon-possessed. And notice the text there. They lived among the tombs. Now, I don't like cemeteries to begin with. And you're like, you're a preacher and you don't like cemeteries? No, I don't like cemeteries. I'm just not one that, you know, I, I just don't get a thrill in going to cemeteries, much less living in one. These guys were living in the caves where they were burying people. And then notice the text up there. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. 
I mean, can you imagine wanting to go to the cemetery to put flowers on your relative's grave and here jumps out behind a tombstone a guy who is violent wanting to beat you up? I mean, it'd probably cause you to hesitate to go to the cemetery. And yet Jesus heals both of these men. Now, there's more to this story that I'm not covering today, but you get a glimpse of demon possession. Matthew 12, here's a man who can neither speak nor see. Somehow the demon had robbed him of his eyesight and his ability to talk. And Jesus healed him, and then he could do both. And then you go to chapter 17, you've got a story of a man who brings his son to Jesus... And his son has a problem where this demon would constantly cause him to want to jump into water, presumably maybe to drown himself or to throw himself into the fire. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't know which of those is worse. And this desperate dad's like any way you could help him out. And of course Jesus is able to do so. And so these stories kind of give us a glimpse of Mary Magdalene's life prior to meeting Jesus. Now, the Chosen series has her living a life of prostitution. Is that in the Bible? No. Now, it's been a part of church history now for about 1,500 years. But it's important for you to know what's in the Bible and not in the Bible. We really don't know what it was like for Mary during this period of her life. But let me tell you, whatever it was, it was horrible. And so we see that aspect about her. Now you ask this question, how in the world did Jesus and Mary meet? We don't know. We literally do not know. I mean, did her family bring her to Jesus? Did he happen to just land, you know, on the seashore and there she was like the two men over in the land of the Gadareans? Did she somehow, in a period of relief from the demons, did she seek Jesus out? We don't know. What we do know is that she was from Magdala. Now, I don't know if you can see up here on the map, but up here right below Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee is the city of Magdala. And Magdala was a, a very wealthy city. It was a city that had a textile industry. They, they, they had a lot of dyes in the area, and they would make cloth and dye it and sell it. And therefore, there were a lot of wealthy families from Magdala. And my guess is, Mary's from one of them. Now you go, why would you say that? Well, you'll see why here in just a second. But my guess is, that's exactly what's going on here. Now, whatever happens, they hook up with one another. Maybe Jesus was simply preaching in Magdala in the synagogue, and she was there. But Jesus heals her. It's not one of those healings we read about in the New Testament. There's a bunch where he casts out demons and he heals people. We don't know about hers. But here's what we do know. It changed her life. The demons she had were gone. You know, we talk today about having demons, personal demons. And we probably could go around the auditorium this morning and all of us could probably talk about, yeah, let me tell you about the demon that haunts me. And if there's anything we can get from the story of Mary Magdalene is that Jesus came to cast out our demons, whether they're literal demons or the demons we struggle with that are temptations and weaknesses that we all have. 
And what I love about Mary is that when she was finally set free, the Jesus' Jesus's words found in John 8, 36 are so true. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And man, he had set her free, and the end result was a life with demon possession, whatever that was, seven of them, to a life of following Jesus. A life that became so transformative for her and for us now 2,000 years later. Mary literally joined the journey with Jesus. And what I love about that is that she was someone who now begins to help Jesus. Notice again Luke 8, right after the list of names, Mary, Joanna, uh, Susanna, and many others... Notice what the text says. These women were helping to support Jesus and the apostles out of their own means. That's why I said I think Mary came from a rich family. She had material blessings. And as soon as these demons are cast out, what is she doing? She's following Jesus, but she's supporting Jesus. She's the one when they camp that she goes into the nearby village and buys food. She's the one who makes sure that all their needs are taken care of, along with these other women. What an incredible story. Twelve guys and Jesus being supported by a group of women who are also disciples of Jesus. Here's the way Mark tells the story. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Made me want to say if there's any wealthy ladies here, but never mind, forget it. I'm thinking about John, Mike, and Tony and others. That's who I'm thinking about. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. <laughs> but notice, many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Jesus had a lot who followed him. And it's now Passover week. And it's during Passover week that Mary Magdalene becomes the model disciple of Jesus. This is what hit me last week. I was working through the text. One of the things I do is I, I type up the text, I read the text, I study the text, I read what the commentaries say about the text. And I've got to tell you, last week, Thursday morning, I'm struggling with the text. I mean, I, I knew what the text said about Mary, but what I do with it. When all at once it dawned on me that there was something unique about Mary, Unique, and, and, and it may have been that one or other two others that joined her, but the Holy Spirit chose her to be the example. And what was unique about her was her becoming this model disciple. For instance, first of all, Mary was there at the cross as Jesus suffered and died. I mean, I, I, I've always known that. But what I had not noticed is what John said about it. Notice the text here. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, Mary, his mother's sister, and, and we don't know if Mary, the wife of Clopas, is the sister or a fourth lady, and then Mary Magdalene. Now, if you're thinking right now, that's a lot of Marys. It is. That's one of the problems with trying to study the New Testament is it, it is said that in the New Testament time, one out of every five women in Judea was named Mary. And so you had to identify which Mary it is. Mary from Magdala. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the wife of Clopas. I mean, you had to be identified. I'm reminded of the old New Heart program. This is my brother Daryl, right Daryl? And my other brother Daryl. I mean, you had Daryls running out your ears. 
or in this case, Mary's. And so here they are at the cross, but here's what's fascinating to me. Here's Mary, the mother of Jesus. How had they been notified? We don't know. When did they arrive there? We don't know. How much of the crucifixion had they witnessed? We don't know. But we know this, as Jesus' life is bleeding out of him, here's Mary at the cross, and who is it beside Mary? Mary Magdalene. That's one reason in The Chosen. They, they have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene as friends because they've gone and looked at this text and said, surely this is not the first time they were together. And if you can imagine Mary Magdalene standing at the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus, grieving with her, grieving for her, and experiencing all the horror of that particular instance. Perhaps from the nailing to the cross, through the hours of darkness, to watching his life literally bleed out of him, until he finally cries and dies. Mary Magdalene is there. But it's not just there. I mean, she witnessed everything that, that God's plan to redeem us involved, the ultimate sacrifice of the Son of God. She witnessed it. But then the text tells us that they took Jesus down from the cross. And y'all remember from last week how it was Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the council, who went to Pilate, boldly asked for the body, took the body to his own tomb that he had just had carved, and buried him there. And with him, of course, was Nicodemus, another character we've looked at in this series. But what I love about Mary is that, again, if, you're, if you don't read it too fast, you'll see that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary... Don't, don't you love the way Matthew does it? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And you're like, which other Mary? Just pick your choice. All right? It's one of them. But notice the text there. They were sitting opposite the tomb. They had not only witnessed, Mary had not only witnessed Jesus' death, she had stayed and watched as they took him down. She had stayed and followed them to the garden tomb that was nearby. And now she's sitting there opposite the tomb as they are preparing his body, putting it in the tomb, sealing the tomb, planning to come back in a couple of days to anoint his body again. She's there at his death. She's there at his burial. She witnesses both. And that next morning, or not that next morning, but two days later on that Sunday morning, guess what? She's heading back to the tomb. The text tells us that there are several women there. John puts this this way. Very early in the morning, first day of the week, while it's still dark. I don't know what time you got up this morning, but I try to get up somewhere around 5.30, 5.45. And so I got up this morning, looked outside, and it was, you know, at that point of where it's dark, but it's not dark. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, just starting to get light over the horizon. And that's what evidently Mary was experiencing. This would have been late March, early uh, April at this time. And, and she comes to the tomb. And, of course, if you go to other texts, she's debating with the other women, how are we going to get that stone rolled out of the way? It's a big stone. But when they get there, the stone's already moved. 
And the text tells us that she looked and the, and the tomb is empty and she immediately runs to where Peter and John are, where the apostles are staying. And she says, listen, they've taken the Lord's body and I don't know where they've put it. And of course, P uh, Peter and John take off running and, and they come to the tomb. You remember the story. John outruns Peter. He gets there. He stops at the entrance to the tomb. Peter comes flying up, goes straight in. Then John goes in and you have that beautiful scene of John as he's theorizing what could have possibly happened here. Now, of course, most of us don't pause to say, what about Mary? She had gone to get them, and they had taken off running. Now, maybe Mary ran a lot. Maybe she followed them straight there. My guess is she finally shows up as they're about to leave, and they leave, and she's there, and she's just squalling. She's torn all to pieces, weeping outside the tomb. And finally, she looks inside the tomb, and there are two angels in there sitting where Jesus had sat. But notice the text there. She simply, uh, they ask her, woman, why are you crying? And she says, well, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they put him. Not even noticing. Not even noticing that they're angels. But by the way, let me just say that anytime you've been through a traumatic incident, you don't pay attention to what's going on. You don't realize. In fact, anytime you're focused, it's so easy to overlook people. By the way, I've had people in the past say to me, Les, are you mad at me? And I go, what are you talking about? Well, the last couple of times at church, I mean, I was standing there, you walked right past me, didn't even speak to me, are you mad at me? And brothers and sisters, if I've ever done that to you, it's not because I'm mad at you. It's because I'm on a mission. And I mean that seriously. You'd be amazed how many times I get up front and I look, my Bible's not in here. My notes are not in here. My announcements are not in here. Someone's like, hey, Les, can you go get such and such? And, of course, here I take off, and when I start running like that, I'm focused. I'm not paying attention to who I'm passing by. And so if I've done that to you, I apologize. I was, I was at the doctor's office a couple of years ago, and they were fixing to draw blood. And, of course, when I go to the doctor's office, you've got to realize what it's like. They always come out, and they go, Miss Chapman, Miss Chapman. And I go, could that possibly be Mr. Chapman? And then they go, oh, yes, yeah, so sorry. Yeah. And so that had happened to me on this one occasion, and I'm walking past, and the guy who's going to take my blood, I noticed when he came in, I thought, man, that guy looks familiar. And as we're walking back, he said, I'm Sylvester, I'll be drawing your blood today. Now, he had just called me Miss Chapman, all right? And I said, could it be Mr. Chapman? Oh, yes, I'm so sorry. You know, follow me. And so as we're going uh, to, to have my blood drawn, I said to him, Sylvester. And he pauses, and I said, you would think you would remember your old preacher. And boy, then he paused, looked at the sheet of paper, and he turned and said, Leslie Chapman. He said, man, it's how long has it been? I said, over 20 years. And then I said, you would have thought you would have known me instead of calling me Miss Chapman. He said, yeah, I know it. I just was drawing blood. Mary was just crying. And it was not just that she didn't notice the angels, but notice the text. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not realize it was Jesus. Again, she, she's crying. She's wiping away tears. And when she sees this guy, the text says she assumed he was the gardener. And Jesus asked her, 
Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Jesus himself. And she doesn't notice. And then I love what happens next. Jesus said to her, Mary. You ever had someone to call you? And you pick up and you say hello and, and, and you're trying to place the voice until they finally say, you know, hey, Les. And you're like, whoa, I know who this is. I mean, as soon as Jesus said Mary, she knew instantly. Notice she cries out. She screams out in Aramaic, Rabboni. And, and, and the text here says, which means teacher, but I love the Passion Translation because it's more than just teacher. It's Aramaic for my teacher, my rabbi. I, I think sometimes we fail to realize that Jesus was inviting both men and women to follow him. And here's Mary as she realizes who he is and says, you're just not the teacher, you're my teacher. And then it was the calling of her name. Mary becomes, by the way, the first witness to the whole gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That, that's what hit me last Thursday. She witnessed personally his death, his burial, and now his resurrection. And, and if you turn back to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that's what the gospel is. I mean, if you look at the text here, I want to remind you of the gospel. And when you boil the good news down, is that the Christ came and suffered and died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel. And here Mary is experiencing the gospel in ways that none of us can experience, up close and personal. But here's what hit me so hard last Thursday. God invites us to experience what Mary experienced. Now he does it in a different way. And I think sometimes in all of our preaching about baptism, we miss perhaps what may be the most important part of it. Paul, in writing to the Romans, he says, Listen, I want you to know something about baptism. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, we were immersed into his death. I don't know anybody more immersed than Mary. She's there witnessing everything about how Jesus died to literally the last breath out of his body. But Paul says somehow we too in, in this beautiful thing called baptism, we're immersed into his death. We were therefore buried with him. We're not just immersed into his death, but there is something of joining him at the tomb. Mary, looking down, seeing where Jesus' body had laid. We too share in that. When we are lowered into the water, we for a few moments are buried there with Jesus. And then notice the same language. He goes on, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. We're raised up. Just as Jesus came out of that tomb, we come out of our grave. A new person in him. And so baptism has a meaning to it that Mary experienced in a very real way 
that we experience in a symbolic, spiritual way. And what I love most about it was what Jesus said. Mary. You see, you've got to appreciate what John's gospel says. John's gospel says, the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. When he called her Mary, he was saying, you're one of my sheep. You've been with me through it all. And you have eternal life. Now, you like to think what happened to her. Why does Mary just disappear? Mary disappears the same way Nicodemus disappears. Joseph uh, disappears. Blind Bartimaeus disappears. Simon of Cyrene disappears. And by the way, the same way we shall disappear. One day God will call us home. And guess what? Our ministry here on earth will be over. But what I love about Mary is what God then calls her to is she begins her ministry as the apostle to the apostles. You see, Jesus, after she grabs him, and I love the way she grabs him, you know, when she sees him and realizes who he is, she she grabs her arms around his legs, much like our grandkids do. You know, you're not going to get away. And Jesus says, listen, I've got to go back to my father. I've got to ascend back to the right hand of God. But he says, I want you to know something. And he's not only my father and God, but now he's your father and your God. I mean, here Mary is, the first one to hear. God is your God. He is your father. And now you go tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. And what does Mary do? She becomes the apostle to the apostles. You see, the word apostle just means one who is sent. And she was sent by Jesus himself to go to tell Peter, Andrew, James, and John, I have seen the Lord. And then notice what John says. And she gave them his message. That's the role she fulfilled. And what an incredible role it was. And so by issuing the invitation this morning, I simply ask this question. Are you ready, like Mary, to go through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? so that you can become one of his disciples. If so, we're here to help you with that. Come right now, so together we stand and sing.